Dirty Bird Podcast contains foul language and is not appropriate for young fledglings. Listener discretion is advised. Our intro music is brought to you by Ricky Pistone, aka Dick Piston. And our outro music is brought to you by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. Are you looking for a podcast today? With ornithology and humor you crave? Well, I know all these guys and it's birds they like. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're just a couple guys who really like birds. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're pretty dirty, but they really like birds. Welcome to Dirty Bird Podcast, a podcast that's serious about birds, but nothing else. And I'm back with Tim. Hey, Tim. Great to be back. Always a pleasure, John. Yep. Tim and I are again in the garage at Virginia Beach. We're uh, much perkier this morning. We sure are. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't jump in the ocean this morning, but yeah. Tim's heading back to Charlotte, North Carolina today, unfortunately. Gonna miss him. Yeah. It was a great weekend, great to visit and uh, get some get some dirty burden in and we had an awesome time at the beach and uh, got to learn some great stuff about Moas yesterday and looking forward to to more along the same lines today. Yep. For our listeners, this will probably be posted a couple weeks apart, but uh, yeah, Tim and I are recording these yeah. <laughs> episodes uh, back-to-back mornings. But anyway, uh, yeah, before we launch into talking about... Uh, a little bit more about the moa and about the predators that uh, ate them. I'll just, uh, you know, I started off last episode talking to Tim about his feeder in Charlotte. I'll talk a little bit about my bird feeder here in uh, Virginia Beach. Yeah. Um, Timmy's gotten to witness some activity at it. You know, mm-hmm. I have only been here for a couple months. I put up a, a feeder and have gradually been kind of adding to it. You know, first I just started with the standard like little wooden feeder and put my platform feeder up and then a, a safflower feeder, a, a, a sock with some, some thistle seeds in it and a suet feeder, of course, too. So yeah, that was my uh, feeder setup. I have definitely had some uh, battles with this feeder, though. <laughs> uh, the squirrels are insane here. Like, I'm coming from West Virginia, and, you know, I had a squirrel-proof feeder there, just like a $20 one you buy at Walmart. And that thing lasted me for, like, three years out there. Finally, like, it was a good feeder. Like, the squirrels could never get in it. The birds could. And then, you know, one day it just, like, kind of rusted through, and so, you know, I got rid of it. Mm -hmm. But, oh, my God, like, I don't know. There must be something with city squirrels and country squirrels because <laughs> these fucking city squirrels are like smart as hell so like first off i put out like just a normal little wooden feeder and i'm like like the squirrels aren't you know i'm gonna switch feeders soon the squirrels aren't gonna, gonna aren't gonna find it this fast nope the same day they just like tear down that that feeder they wow. pull like the it's just like a little one with like some glass sides and like wood around it and nope they just like pull the glass out and just like 
spill everything on the ground. So then I'm like, all right, I need to do some hot seed. And uh, I mix up my own hot seed, but nope, that's not good enough. These uh, these squirrels, they uh, have a little bit of taste for the caliente. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. They just fight through the pain. <laughs> they want it so much. Yeah, they just want that <laughs> seed so bad. They don't care if their little squirrel butthole's burning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I do the hot seed thing and it kind of slows them down, but not really. Even when I like buy actually pre-mixed hot seed, which is definitely better than when I try to just mix it at home with some Tabasco yeah. sauce. <laughs> All right. So then I go and I buy a, another one of those $20 Walmart squirrel proof feeders. The one that lasted me for three years in West Virginia. The thing didn't last one day. <laughs> they fucking chewed through the plastic that like connects the top so then the whole feeder just falls down and then they just feast on all this all the seed that spilled on the ground like they're little assholes relentless man but uh that made me finally just go and go to wild birds unlimited and buy fork out like a hundred dollars for the good squirrel proof feeder and finally that has cut it they're not able to to eat from that one so yeah it worked out okay oh good good yeah there definitely seem to be plenty of them back there that (laughs) i know and it's it's crazy to see that they are just you know like you said fighting through the the heat (laughs) of the hot seed and the hot suet that's that's something i haven't seen them do that before i know like i've seen them like sometimes after in west virginia at least sometimes after it rained or something they would sometimes grab some seed because the hot sauce you know was off of it but these guys they'll just go straight and it's like the professionally mixed hot seed or the hot suet you know that's supposed to be squirrel proof and like they won't eat it as fast as they would just normal stuff but man i mean they're still they're still just eating it yeah wow crazy or i don't know how to explain it (laughs) whatever yeah and like i like having my platform feeder you know because that's what the blue jays like to come to and, and stuff like that but uh Yep, yep. Oh, well, I'll be battling these squirrels. And <laughs> speaking of rodents also, <laughs> Timmy got to witness uh, some other rodents that have been coming to my feeder. Yeah. So my <laughs> feeder, like, there's, like, a fence right behind it, and it's one of those, like, double fence. I don't know how you would describe it. Like, there's, like, room in between the, you know, the two sides of the fence. Right, right. And apparently this is just like a highway for rats. <laughs> and so now rats have been coming to my feeder. Like big fucking rat. They're like the size of a squirrel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're a good size. They uh, are definitely squirrel sized. Uh, a little less bushy of tails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just have that like, ugly naked tail. Yeah. <laughs> but yep. They've uh, they've been coming by the feeder. Yep, so <laughs> sure have. They haven't uh, gotten into anything else. I have all my bird seed like, you know, in metal containers. So mm-hmm. it's supposedly rodent proof. But yeah. yeah. Hopefully they don't cause a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, as far as the birds I've seen at the feeder, though, it's a pretty big variety of uh, finches, which is good, like house and purple finches. The titmites come by, chickadees, cardinals, blue jays. Um, song sparrows, um, uh, northern mockingbird every once in a while, even the robins will come by and eat from that platform feeder. Um, and I have a bird bath out there too. So they, mm-hmm. all the birds like that. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any woodpeckers though. Hmm. I will mention no downies, no hairies, yeah. no red bellies. Um, I, you know, this is a pretty like suburban area and like, 
there's not a lot of dead trees anywhere. Yeah, makes sense. So yeah, I'm thinking maybe just there's no breeding habitat for the for the woodpeckers mm-hmm. around here. Yeah, for like cavity nesting woodpeckers. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll see them. There is like a tiny little like nature preserve nearby. Hmm. So maybe there's a couple hiding out in there. Yeah, and they'll, they'll come yeah. around in the winter or something. But right. yeah. Um, interestingly also, there's no house sparrows and no starlings. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, at least good thing. none that I've seen so far, which yeah. is really cool. That like, is nice. Yeah. The girls are stomping around. <laughs> Be five full thumb. Where is my breakfast, hon? <laughs> I wonder if Lauren's going to listen to this. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's stop uh, dicking around and uh, let's get straight to talking about uh, the predators that would prey on the moa. Um, I kind of alluded at the very end of the last episode, these moa, I mean, they were giant. They were like 11 feet in size maximum, but they were not the top of the food chain by any means. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's so cool how big, I just can't get over how big these freaking moa were like oh yeah i don't know tim uh do you think if they hadn't been driven to extinction do you think like eventually humans would have started riding them around like I, horses i would like to think so <laughs> <laughs> i certainly would have liked to try just like riding moa into yeah. battle <laughs> lances and stuff yeah and that'd be awesome <laughs> jousting on a moa <laughs> um but before I go into too much detail about the predators that would kill these giant freaking birds, um, I'm going to start us off with a legend. So here's a Maori legend. On the South Island of New Zealand, on the top of Mount Tawair, there lived a monstrous bird. This bird was called the Puakai, and when it attacked humans in its downward rush, it was so fierce that none could withstand it. It was known to carry off small children and devour them at its leisure. At last, a hero named Ruru resolved to kill the creature. He gathered 50 men and had them dig a large hole. He then armed the men with spears and had them stand in the hole with interwoven tree branches covering it. Ruru stood near the hole and called out, taunting the bird to come get him. Angered at this insolence, the great bird plunged at Ruru. However, he ducked into the hole at the last minute and avoided the attack. Even more angry, the bird landed on the branches and began trying to claw at Ruru. Just then, the 50 men hidden in the hole stabbed upwards with their spears and killed the great beast. Ruru and his men then climbed the mountain, finding the creature's nest and destroying its offspring so that it could never harm them again. Dino Eagle. So that is the story of the Puakai, um, also known as Haas Eagle, which was a giant eagle and the top predator of the ecosystem on New Zealand. Thanks to the McPherson Natural History Unit Sound Archive for letting me use some reconstruction sounds of what Haas Eagle might have sounded like uh, during that legend. The simulation was made by Piers Gilbertson. So that's just one version of a common story across Maori culture of this fearsome giant bird. Um, the crazy thing about these stories is they are based on 
the real creature, you know. Like with other myths and legends, like like I, I don't know Greek mythology with like a cyclops or something. Like there's like nothing it's really based on, but these mm-hmm. like are stories of like this terrible monster and like it actually was real. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Mauve New Zealand, like I said, weren't at the top of the food chain. There were actually two giant avian predators that preyed on them: Haas eagle, which we just talked about, and also Isles Harrier. I'll talk about Haas Eagle first because it's probably one of the most impressive birds to have ever lived. I mean, it was capable of killing human children for fuck's sake. Wow. Like, that's insane. That's crazy. Um, it was the largest eagle to have ever existed, um, that we know of at least. Um, it's only rivaled by Woodward's Eagle, which is just slightly smaller than it. It lived in uh, North America during the late Pleistocene. Hmm. And as you can tell from the intro story I gave, um, Haas Eagle's first interaction with humanity was as a monstrous creature. In fact, there's some evidence that it was a sort of demigod in Maori mythology. The Maori called it Puakai, uh, which translates to the old glutton. But as European settlers to New Zealand were discovering moa bones in the 1800s, they also came across the bones of this massive eagle. Frederick Fuller in 1871 was the first person to kind of document um, the discovery of these birds in a dried up swamp. And he sent them to the curator of the Canterbury Museum in Christchurch, New Zealand, a man named Julius von Haast. Mm. He dubbed the bird Harpagornis mori, combining the Greek word harpax, which means grappling hook, with the word ornis for bird. And in the genus name, Mori, it just comes from the last name of the guy who owned the land where mm-hmm. the fossil was found on. So, oh, okay. a big meaning there. Further research of these bones, though, would reveal a bird of prey unlike anything living today. The females were about 30% larger than the males, um, and they could weigh up to 33 pounds. Whew. Yeah, they were <laughs> nearly 5 feet in total length with a standing height close to 3 feet. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine an eagle that like comes up over your waist. Like that's nuts. I'm envisioning the Lord of the Rings eagles. <laughs> yes, yes, totally. No, this like definitely brings up a lot, and like it's crazy too because Lord of the Rings was you know filmed in New Zealand, yeah, and then like these giant eagles that are like similar to the Lord of the Rings eagles lived in New Zealand. Right. So I don't know. It's it's weird coincidence. Yeah. Uh, these birds were so large that initial researchers thought that they couldn't possibly fly and that they were a terrestrial species that would just run around killing stuff. Um, but this isn't true. Um, they definitely were able to fly, uh, but they were so heavy they likely had to jump in the air before flapping to be able to take off from the ground. Mm. And their legs actually looked like they were pretty strong, like capable of doing like a pretty good jump mm. to help them get in the air. Wow. They had talons the size of tiger claws and proportionally larger beaks than many of today's eagles. Their bone morphology also reveals insights into their behaviors. Their wings were relatively short and broad for their body size. I mean, their wingspan was still massive. It was nine feet. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this is like a relatively small wingspan compared to their body size. So it suggests that they didn't do much soaring over open grasslands like you see with modern-day like red-tailed hawks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rather, instead, they relied swooping down from perches to grab prey that walked underneath trees and they had a massive fanned out tail also that helped to kind of add lift and compensate for their relatively short wings Hmm. so yeah i mean these guys would like 
if it was over you, like it would be an immense shadow. Like it would like blot out the sun. Oh, you know? yeah. And like that darkness would probably be the last thing that you yeah. know before <laughs> you get right. just hit by it. So as I talked about, they preyed on uh, even the largest of New Zealand's MOA species. It's thought that its hunting strategy, like I said, was to just sit on a branch perched or it would sit high up on a mountain and wait for Samoa to kind of walk below and then like, boom, it would fly down and pounce on them. The Maori mythology kind of supports this hunting strategy. Uh, remember in the tale in the beginning, um, Pukaya uh, was described as living up in the mountains and coming down to hunt for human children. <laughs> um, so like kind of the the maori captured the way that this uh eagle likely hunted and then the bone morphology and everything backs it up Mm -hmm. uh once hoss eagle located prey it would swoop down um and pounce upon moa gripping them by the pelvic bones and with its talons and then use its large sharp beak to either eviscerate them or to attack their head or neck and when you look at moa bones you can actually see that uh there's talon marks in some of the pelvises and then scratches far down into the body cavity, indicating that like, you know, they were using their beak to just like dig in and go for like the kidneys. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if you're a mower, you're just screwed. Yeah. If this thing <laughs> grabbed onto you and just like went to town. No kidding. <laughs> um, and since it was the largest predator in New Zealand, once it made a kill, it could just gorge itself at its leisure. Um, and this may be the source of that Maori name, Old Glutton, because probably the bird would make a kill, you know, kill this 11 foot tall moa bird. And then it would just perch next to the fallen prey and just eat it for like days yeah. until it was all gone. Hmm. So, yeah, Tim, after learning about that eagle, how would you feel to be Ruru and you're um, going out to hunt this guy? I think I might be a little bit spooked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's why he needed to be crafty and, you know, make a little trap for the yeah. for the old glutton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, what a cool predator, though. That's, I know. I just can't believe that there was a, a bird of prey of that size. It's almost like real life, like, fighting a dragon. Yeah. You know, because yeah. this thing flies, it had talons like tiger claws, yeah. you know, its beak could just, like, eviscerate you easily. Yeah, crazy. And the evolutionary history of this bird, too, is also a pretty cool story. Scientists suspected it likely evolved from another large-bodied eagle, like the wedge-tailed eagle of Australia. And, I mean, this makes sense. This is the biggest eagle to ever live, so you'd think, like, it came from another big eagle. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, mitochondrial analysis shows it's actually more closely related to two small-bodied eagles in the hieratus clade, the little eagle of Australia and the booted eagle of Europe. This led to the genus Harpagornis that it originally was part of being dropped, and so now its scientific name is Hieratus mori. One of these two relatives, the little eagle, is the most closely related, and it only differentiated from Haas eagle in the past 0.7 to 1.8 million years. Hmm. So, I don't know, just think of this real quick. The little eagle, I mean, as its name implies, it's actually the smallest eagle in the world. It weighs less than two pounds. And in only around a million years, it evolved into a bird that was over 15 times as big. Wow. Yeah, this is the quickest example of island giganticism to ever occur in a vertebrate species. And the existence of the moa are the reason that it occurred. 
Basically what happened is when the first little eagle were blown over to New Zealand a little over a million years ago, they encountered an ecosystem full of large herbivores with very few predators. There's some native predatory birds um, on New Zealand. Uh, there's like the laughing owl, there's Isles Harrier, which we'll talk about, um, both of which are extinct now. Um, but they're more smaller in body size, and so they kind of like would specialize on the smaller birds, small rails, songbirds, and the many lizards of the island. Mm. And, you know, when the, when the small eagle came over, it couldn't compete with these already established smaller hunting birds. So um, with them competing for the smaller prey, the only way for the little eagle to go was to move up the food chain. So large body size began to be strongly selected for, and the little eagle grew to be a medium eagle, and then a big eagle, and finally the massive hoss eagle. Yeah. This evolution of large body size was so rapid, in fact, that its brain couldn't keep up with its body. Its body grew at least tenfold in size, but its brain and sensory organs only doubled or tripled in size. Hmm. Yeah, its eyes were only a third of the size that you would expect for a bird of prey that's as big as the host eagle was. Wow. And its sense of smell likely was not very good. Certainly not on par with like vultures. Mm -hmm. Like early, um, you know, researchers looking at this eagle were like, it's so big, like there's no way it was able to like take prey out. Like it probably just flew around like a vulture and, and you know, ate dead carcasses and stuff. But I mean... It had such a shitty sense of smell that this would have been really hard for it. So mm. it likely only went after live prey. Um, furthermore, when you look at the actual nerves that lead to the muscles in their body, and, uh, you know, of course, we're only looking at, like, uh, bones and fossils here. Um, but you can kind of tell what the nerves are like by looking at the vertebrae and stuff. And their body was likely pretty, like, unsophisticated in its, you know, electrical wiring, basically. And so it makes it doubtful that they were capable of graceful flight necessary to weave in between trees. So the really terrifying strategy of this bird, like I said, was just to ambush its prey from on high. Once it was coming down towards you, it was so big and so fast that there was no escape. Uh, I found one Maori legend that stated, Though its wings made a loud noise as it flew through the air, it rushed with such rapidity upon its prey that none could escape from its talons. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The tiger talons too. <laughs> yeah. Like that's fearsome. Population estimates are that there were only about 3,000 to 4,500 hot seagulls at a time on the island. And you know, that's not very much. Yeah. Nothing is really known about its breeding habits. Um from what I could see, they've only found remnants um and pieces of adult skeletons, uh no like eggs or no young ones or juveniles or anything. Uh, but with such a small population number, that made them, you know, very prone to extinction. Um, and since their hunting strategy, you know, relied on ambushing large prey, once the moa were extinct, there was nothing left for them to eat. Mm -hmm. They also were hunted uh, to some degree by the Maori. Um, there's been bones found in the Maori midden piles um, and also bones that the Maori had turned into tools. But... Um, who knows? Um, kind of something I was thinking of is that 
once the moa disappeared you know like their prey the moa got hunted to extinction by the maori right maybe the hoss eagles kind of had to turn to human children as their main food source could be and then you know the moment they start taking out some kids the maori were like all right we're getting rid of these freaking dragons yeah (laughs) yeah exactly i mean yeah because that's all that was the only big prey left once the moa were gone they were like hmm well there's these moa walk on two legs these things walk on two right. legs. Maybe we'll try to eat them too. Yeah, definitely and possible. Yeah, and definitely once that happened, you know, they were sought out and hunted to extinction. Oh yeah. Um, the fossils of Haas eagle have only been found on the South Island, New Zealand, and also Stewart's Island. You'll see people write and say that they weren't on the North Island because we haven't found fossil evidence of them there. But like. There's no reason to believe they weren't on the North Island, I think, you know, like all they got to do is just fly across the Cook Strait. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a little band of water that they could have flown across. And I mean, just because we haven't found fossils there. I mean, we haven't found a lot of fossils of these birds in general. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that they were on the North Island. Yeah. Um, As far as what Haas Eagle looked like, not much is known for sure. Uh, The Maori legend... Um, says that the um, Hokaioi, which is a bird that possibly refers to uh, the Haas Eagle, it's kind of a legendary bird figure in Maori legend. Um, but they said that the um, Hokaioi um, had black feathers tinged with yellow and green and red feathers on its head. So it may have been a pretty colorful, like crazy looking bird. Yeah. Or it might have just looked like, you know a golden eagle you know right. kind of just with brown and black mm-hmm. and feathers and stuff but i don't know i like to think that it was a super colorful crazy looking monster yeah exactly adds to the dragon effect a yeah <laughs> for sure yes the smog of the bird world. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's hoss eagle tim um what do you think about it that is just pretty mind-blowing that something <laughs> like that existed, and uh, it was awesome to hear about. It's, that's really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so one more bird I want to talk about, uh, another bird of prey, will be um, Isles Harrier. Um, this bird also preyed on Moa, uh, but it was much smaller than Haas Eagle. Um, it definitely wasn't taking down the giant Moa, but it preyed upon like smaller Moa species like the bush and the upland Moa. Um, other favorite prey were the New Zealand pigeon, which is called um, kereru, and the flightless parrot, the kakapo, mm. and some species of ducks. Harrier across much of the world usually specialize in hunting small mammals. Of course, in New Zealand, there were no small mammals, so they turned their specialty into like the smaller bird species. Gotcha. Ailes Harrier, like Haas Eagle, exhibited island giganticism. It evolved from the spotted harrier of Australia around 2.4 million years ago. Both the ancestor of Haas Eagle and Isles Harrier appear to have taken advantage of a west-to-east wind that developed during the Pleistocene. Um, This facilitated many bird species to make the trip from Australia. You know, I mean, it's easy when there's a wind current blowing you right over there to to arrive. Um, Kind of you see in the fossil record that these all these birds that arrived around two to one million years ago to New Zealand and then differentiated into other species. Mm -hmm. Um, Furthermore, during this time period, New Zealand was undergoing a period of increased glaciation and this saw forests being replaced by grasslands, which probably helped like avian predators to establish themselves. You know, harriers, eagles, they kind of need to look down from the sky and Mm -hmm. be able to see prey walking around so that they can swoop down and get it. Right. 
But after making it over to New Zealand, um, Al's hairy are doubled in size compared to its closest relative. It, um, it exhibited sexual dimorphism, um, similar to the moa, actually, um, with the female weighing close to seven pounds. This makes it the largest harrier ever known to exist. It was about the size of a golden eagle, actually. Wow. Yes, that's a big harrier. Yeah, that is big. Um, some things we do know about this bird. Like modern-day harriers, it had an excellent sense of hearing, and it used this to hunt its prey. It was found on both the North and South Island, but North Island populations were bigger and likely capable of taking down moa weighing up to 80 pounds. Wow. And this is part of that uh, speculation that Haas Eagle was absent from the North Island and that Isles Harrier was kind of filling in its niche and was the top predator over there. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't really buy it. Like, I think Haas Eagle was over there, too. Yeah. Um, and in Maori legend, uh, they talk about like Haas Eagle and the Harriers hating each other. Hmm. So I could see them like competing in the North Island. Yeah, for sure. Uh, its scientific name for Isles Harrier is Circus Tiatinus. Uh, the species name is a reference to the Tiatu region of the North Island where some of its bones have been found. And then its genus Circus just contains most harriers of the world, including the northern harrier that we have here in North America. Mm-hmm. Its common name refers to Jim Isles. Um, he was an archaeologist and paleontologist from the early 20th century in New Zealand. Uh, he seems to have very humbly named this bird after himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, the scientific name of this bird would have included Owl's name also, um, had not earlier paleontologists from the 1800s kind of named it first the tiatuinus hmm. um like what i've learned from my research on bird naming and taxonomy is it's very political you know yeah people are always trying to like weasel their name in you right. know like oh i want to be immortal in the yeah. scientific name of this bird this is and my then, species yeah it's mine all mine <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of mine 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 let's talk about how isles harrier went extinct which is no surprise Humans! Yeah. No surprise there. <laughs> um, it was hunted by the Maori. Also, its bones have been found in middens. Um, its bones were made into tools. Um, the Maori practice of burning woodlands and shrublands to produce grasslands um, would have likely decimated a lot of habitat for the prey animals that the um, Isles Harrier liked to eat. Um, but really, I mean, finally the rats, rats, rats were kind of the big killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always blame the rats yeah. coming to my feeder. <laughs> <laughs> the rats likely took a heavy toll on harrier nests, eating both eggs and chicks. And um, although Owls Harrier probably went extinct before European settlers arrived to New Zealand, there is some evidence that they may have lasted into the 1800s. If you think about Owl's hair, you know, it, it it was a bit more versatile in what it could eat compared to Haas Eagle. You know, yeah, Haas yeah. Eagle was just big moa and possibly small children. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Owl's hair could probably, even if the moa were gone, there were other birds that it could still eat. You oh, know, yeah. And lizards and, and who knows, maybe it even started eating some rats too. Yeah. Um, but the last possible sighting of Al's Harrier comes from the 1870s by a guy named Charles Edward Douglas. He was in the Landsborough River Valley of the South Island when he spotted two giant raptors. 
typical of people of this time, he shot and ate him. <laughs> um, he later told people that he had shot and killed the legendary um, Puakai. So he claimed that he had killed a hoss eagle, two hoss eagles, because uh, he said that they had nearly 10 foot wingspans. This is almost certainly not true, though. I mean, for hundreds of years, no Moa had lived on the islands and generations of Maori hadn't seen a hoss eagle. So it's likely Douglas had just killed off some of the last remnants of Isles Harrier, mm. uh, which were still kind of clinging to life on that South Island. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. Shot and ate him. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, but I mean, they were already on their way out, especially with the Europeans coming, like even more invasive species were brought to the islands. Um, you know, there were more rats brought. They were like, they brought goats and stuff and mm-hmm. like just uh, more dogs. Like, so, I mean, Alice Harry really didn't have a chance. Yeah. Its extinction was good for one species, though, the swamp harrier. Uh-huh. Yeah. Swamp harriers can be found all over New Zealand now. Um, a factor, uh, they factor prominently in Maori mythology, where they're known as kahu. Um, and a swamp harrier flying over a tribal council is good luck. Um, its feathers feature prominently in traditional headdresses of the Maori also. Mm. But the Swamp Harrier is four times smaller than Owl's Harrier. And even though, like, now it's all over in New Zealand and, you know, it's over a lot of Australia and and Pacific Islands. um, But it's thought that they were um, excluded from settling in New Zealand for a long time because of Owl's Harrier. It's a much larger relative. Hmm. Like, every time it tried to come over, Owl's Harrier was like, nah, little guy, (laughs) this is my territory. But, I mean, in the past 700 years, with Alice Harrier's decline, they were able to move in and fill the vacant niche. 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 <laughs> I don't even know how to say that. <laughs> niche niche. Niche niche. <laughs> um, the couple of species I've talked about um, over these past two episodes, I just want to point out, are the tip of the iceberg on New Zealand's extinct species. There's a ton of other extinct but really cool New Zealand birds. There's like a black swan species, the laughing owl I mentioned earlier, the flightless Stevens wren. Um, I encourage listeners to go and look them up, um, look at other New Zealand extinct species. Maybe I'll do an episode on them someday. But uh, yeah, I guess this episode's kind of on the shorter side, but those are two really cool birds. And I mean, the stuff of nightmares kind of. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> awesome to learn about those because it's just, you know, the kind of species that you don't really think about these days because there's there's not really uh, too much else out there like it. And uh, so it's awesome to to hear about and i'll definitely have to go do some do some research on some of those other species you mentioned because these were some awesome ones to learn about thanks john yeah totally tim glad to talk about all right listeners out there write some reviews send me some listener mail follow dirty bird podcast on instagram claim your stickers support the show support the show (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah yeah we'll see when i get the next episode out because uh residency starts soon and i will be busy oh yeah yeah let me know what you guys want to hear about all right tim thanks for being here do you want to do the honors of course stay dirty my birdies (laughs) dirty bird podcast is brought to you by me john and our rotating panel of guests and co-hosts Thanks everyone for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Our logo is made by TJ Ranoski with inspiration from my beautiful fiance, Lauren. Love you, babe, even though you don't listen to the show.
Our intro music is by Ricky Pistone, and our outro is by the Sidewalk Slammers. Find them wherever you get your music. Send listener mail to dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at dirtybirdpodcast. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, you name it, Dirty Bird's been there. in the back and I like the New York bats and my cowboy